Good morning. Good to see all of you. I'm not sure what's wrong with this part of the section, but nobody wants there. You're afraid the preacher spits on you or something, right? And, uh, it's a good Baptist church. The best seats, you've got to come early to get the best seats. That's the ones in the back, you know. Uh, but it is great to be with you today. This past summer, I got to spend a week with your teenagers at camp, and uh, we had a wonderful time, not too far from here either. And uh, the Lord helped us, but you have a great youth group and great testimony. I love your pastor and just honored. I really mean that, honored to be a part of this day. Uh, you know, any day where the Lord works is a great day. And let me tell you what really makes it great is when God works in you. My pastor used to say that a great meeting is a meeting where God speaks to me. And I think sometimes on days like today, we come uh, praying for others, and we should, and I love the intercessory prayer. But if you're not careful, you can almost come to a meeting like this saying, Lord, straighten everybody else out. Lord, speak to her, speak to him. But I want us to begin today praying, Lord, speak to me. How many of you will join me in that prayer? Yes? And if that happens, it will be a glorious day. Now let's have a prayer together before we open the Word of God. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for life and health and strength and just the grace to be here today is the gift of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that our sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit, our teacher, dwells within. And now as we open the Word of God, may it open us. Would you do exactly what Jesus promised and guide us into all truth? Lord, speak to me today. And I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's open the Word of God together in this very first session we have to John chapter number 15. And when you get to John 15, if you have a way to mark Scripture, a Bible ribbon or something like that, I want you to mark your place in John 15. Uh, because if the Lord will help me, I'm going to return here later this morning. I'm going to return here on Monday. I'm going to return here on Tuesday. We're going to live in John 15 for the next three days. And uh, if I might just challenge you to do something, it would be not only to be in all the meetings, all the parts make the whole, but I would like to ask you to read John 15 on your own every day. So not in the church building. So if you say, well, I'm going to get started now and jump ahead. No, it doesn't count in the church building. You've got to read it at home, read it with your family, read it devotionally, read it prayerfully. But I'm going to ask you to spend a little time in John chapter 15 because John 15, and I think you'll agree with me by the time we get to our last service together, is one of the pinnacle chapters of the Bible. Uh, it lifts you to God, and it takes you to the depths of what God has for us. It is truly an amazing chapter of Scripture. i got a demon-possessed music stand here, don't I? And um, it is one of those chapters uh, that the deeper you go into it, the deeper it digs into you. And I, I've been personally living in John 15 the last few days and just feel prompted of God. This is where the Lord wants us to be this week. I said to your pastor last evening on the phone, uh, have you preached much lately from John 15? Uh, as a guest preacher, I always ask that question because I don't want to jump in the middle of the preacher's sermon series. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? And uh, I, this is true. I went to a church a few months ago to preach. I was just going to be there on a Sunday, preach three times on Sunday. And I had planned to preach that day from the book of Jonah. And the day before, I said to the preacher, have you done much preaching from Jonah lately? And he got a funny look on his face. And he said, actually, he said, I'm in a series right now, 46 sermons in the book of Jonah. And I thought, 46 sermons? Is there even that much in the book of Jonah? 
And so I preached from a different portion of Scripture. But uh, the, when I said to him, have you been in John 15? Immediately he said to me, oh, the abiding chapter. And I said, that's, that's the one. He said, no, I, I've not been there lately. That is exactly what it is. And I trust by the time we're done, we'll all understand more what it means to abide in Christ and let the Word of Christ abide in us. Let's find just a little entry point here today. Look at John 15, beginning in verse number 1. It begins with one of the great declarations of Christ. What's the first two words? Read it with me, class. Ready? I am. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Uh, Moses said, Lord, you're going to have to tell me now what your name is. Uh, Pharaoh is going to ask your name. And God said, just tell them, I am. I am what? Yes, all of the above. Now, the self-existent, self-sufficient, everlasting God, I am that I am. Look, when I say I am, I have to put something after I am. When God says I am, he can put a period after I am. Why? Because he is all-sufficient. He's everything. And uh, all through the, the gospel records, you find many of the I am's of Christ that remind us that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Aren't you glad to know our great God? Look at this one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, this is fascinating to me. Jesus, when he speaks John 15, is walking from the old city of Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's making his way across the Kedron Valley. I can see it in my mind right now. I've stood on the side of the Mount of Olives, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and looked across that valley up to the old city. And Jesus is leading this little band of disciples. They're crossing the, the Kedron Valley. They're crossing over the brook. And they tell me that at that particular time, it was full of vines and branches and vegetation. And it was a, a garden-like area where things were growing. But don't you know the master teacher always used object lessons to get his point across? And I'm trying to use a little sanctified imagination here, but I have an idea that maybe Jesus pointed to something or maybe he stopped and lifted up a vine and showed a branch and he used what was around them to lift them to a greater truth, this great parabolic teaching. He's using the, the agricultural uh, culture of the day to help them understand spiritual truth. I grew up on my, my grandfather's farm. One of the boys in here said to me, he's been listening to the podcast while he works on the farm, and I like that. I grew up on a farm. Uh, how many of you have been around farming much? Yeah, that's a lot of farmers in here. Well, I love this. Jesus is, is the master farmer. That's what he is. He planted everything to start with way back in Genesis, so he really knows how things grow. And now he's talking about spiritual growth, and he says, let me use this, this picture to help you understand the truth. I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener, and he's working in us. And what's he working in us for? So that we would bring forth fruit. Who cares that you have a garden? Who cares that you have a tractor? Who cares that you have a barn if you have no fruit? There must be fruit. And I just want to pause right now and say, Lord, give us fruit today. And Lord, give us much fruit today and give us fruit that remains today. How does that happen? Look in verse number 2. He says he's purging us. He's working in us, all right? How is he working in us? 
Look at verse number 3. In fact, read verse 3 out loud with me, would you, church? John 15, verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I want you to mark that verse in your Bible. He brings us to the now. I love that present tense word. The I am brings us to now. You might even want to connect. I am in verse 1 and now in verse number 3 because a present tense God is always doing a present tense work. The Lord is working in you right now. And how is he working in you at this moment? Through the word of God. All scriptures give my inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. Perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What is that telling us? It's telling us that God works through his word. Would you say that with me? God works through his word. Say it again, please. God works through his word. Now, I understand God uses people, but I want you to understand the great work is always done through the word of God. I want you to take your pen and underline these three words right in the middle of verse number three, through the word. Every week of my life, I'm in a different church, and a different pulpit, different people, different culture, uh, sometimes different climates. Here's what I've learned, the common denominator. Would you like to know? The Word works everywhere. Uh, last week, I was in, um, where on the Lord's Day? I was in Indiana. Yankees need Jesus too, you know that, right? So I was in Indiana last Sunday. And you know what I found? Last week, I wasn't preaching from John 15, but guess what I preached? I preached the Word. And guess what the Lord did? He worked. Somebody said, well, we're expecting big things today. Well, I want you to know right now, you better not make the expectation on the preacher. You better make the expectation on the Word. It's not my words that changes anybody's life. And by the way, as a preacher, this takes a whole lot of pressure off. I don't have to preach good sermons today. I don't have to impress anybody or entertain somebody or, or, or make somebody do something. I can't coerce somebody's conscience. The power is in the Word the Word is the lamp. The Word is the sword. The Word is the hammer. You understand? The Word is the water. The Word is the food. The Word, the Word, the Word. How does God work? God works three words. Say them, please. Through the Word. Now, this is really interesting. But if you look at John 15 and you have a red-letter edition Bible, I'm just curious, how many of you have a red-letter edition Bible? All right, that means the words of Christ are printed in red, and the Bible publisher does that. And uh, let me just get this out of the way. That doesn't make it the Word of God any more than the rest of the Word of God. It is all the Word of God. But it is interesting to see the words of Jesus, and they're printed in red. Would you look at John 15 and tell me, is it all in red, yes or no? There's a reason for that, because every word we're going to study this week literally came out of the mouth of Jesus. And who is Jesus? John said, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. So who is Jesus? He is the Word with a capital W. He is the living Word. There's lots of titles used for Christ, but that's one of my favorite. Somebody said, why was Jesus called the Word? Well, let's get real simple just a minute. Don't overcomplicate it. You would not know what I am thinking right now except you were listening to my what? Words. You would have no idea what was in my heart unless it comes out through my mouth in the form of words. 
Do you know what Jesus is? He is the very perfect expression of who God is. Would you like to know what God is thinking? Look at Jesus. Would you like to know what God wants? Look at Jesus. Would you like to get a little glimpse into the loving heart of God? Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the express image of Almighty God. He is God who became a man without ever ceasing to be God. So he is the word of the living God. And by the way, that is one authoritative word. There is no word like Jesus. He is God's final word to man and fullest expression to man. So who's speaking? The living word is speaking. And what is he speaking? He is giving the spoken word. Do this with me. You marked verse 3. Come down to verse number 11, just a minute. And look at the first phrase at verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you. Mark that in verse number 11. So in verse 3, he said, you're clean through the word I've spoken to you. Verse 11, he said, these things I've spoken to you. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? There is an emphasis in John 15 on the word. The living word is doing the talking. What is he given? This spoken word of God. He's speaking truth. They said, we never heard anything like this before. I don't know if you have a favorite preacher. I hope your pastor is your favorite preacher, by the way. But I want you to know, every now and then, you may hear somebody and think, I like the way that person speaks. And sometimes you hear somebody and say, I don't like the way that person speaks. But when they heard Jesus, who was full of grace and truth, you know what the crowd said? They said, never man spake like this man. We never heard anything like this in our life. Would you like to know why they never heard anything like it? Because every word that came out of his mouth was truth, and every word was bathed in grace. It was given with the authority of one who knew exactly what he was talking about. He wasn't just telling stories and giving Giving talks. It wasn't a nice religious speech filled with religious cliches. It was the spoken word of the living God. The same God in Genesis who said, Light, and there was light, and it was very good. Now speaks in John 15, and guess what comes as he speaks? Light comes. Light comes. I just want to say right now, Lord, speak to us today. Because when God speaks, guess what comes? Light. Life comes. Power comes when the Lord begins to speak to us. If the only voice you hear in here today is mine, you missed it, friend. You missed it. No, forget my voice. Hear the voice of Jesus speaking. How? Through the word of the living God. And then come to verse 25. Jesus said, but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. So you got Christ, the living word. You have recorded for us here the spoken word. And what does Jesus bring us full circle back to? The written word. Let's take a survey. How many of you would like to hear Jesus' voice? How many of you would like to hear Jesus speak? Then open your Bible. I hear people say, I wish I could have been one of those early disciples and heard Jesus. Do you do understand he wrote a book, right? He put it down in black and white. George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, said some of us are going to be ashamed someday when we stand before God at the judgment seat, and he says, how did you like my book? He said it this way. He said, God condescended to become an author, and most people will never even read the book he wrote. 
Imagine standing before God someday and saying, well, I was waiting to hear from you. And the Lord said, I wrote it down. I put every word you needed to know for life and eternity in my scriptures, and you, you neglected it or you rejected it. Oh, no. We need the living word. That's Jesus. We, we must hear his spoken word. And how do we do that? Through the written word. This is something that just in the last few days has really captivated my attention from John 15. I've read John 15 maybe hundreds of times in my lifetime, but I'd never noticed all the references to the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, and and suddenly it's starting to make a connection here. See, everybody wants to be fruitful. Everybody wants a great life. Everybody wants the blessing. Every church I know wants God's touch on it. Every family I know wants the Lord to help their children. Every Christian I know wants to go a little further with God. You do understand all of that is connected to what we do with the Word. What use is there to have a living word, a spoken word, and a written word if it is not a believed word and a received word and an obeyed word? In other words, John 15 is not just about having the word of God or hearing the word of God. It is about doing something with the word of God. And part of the great danger in our world today is people come sit in beautiful buildings like this every week and they hear things from the Word of God and then it makes no difference in the way they live their life. Hear the words of James. The Lord's not interested in more hearers. He's interested in more doers. It is our prayer today that every seat in the place will be filled with people to hear the Word of God. But that's not the goal. That's the means to the end. The real end is this. Dear Lord, let everybody that hears from God today respond to God today. If you and I pass on the sidewalk and you greet me and I don't respond, how many of you think that's rude? I do too. I mean, when you pass somebody, how you doing? And they just won't even give you a holy grunt. You think, what's wrong with that person? I wonder what the Lord must think when he passes by and speaks to us and there's no response from us to him. How is God going to work this week? Tell me, class, through the word. How's the Lord going to change what needs to be changed in us? Through the Word. But that's only going to happen when we let the Word do the work in us God wants to do. So quickly, let me me show you from John 15, from this passage, what God gives us the Word for and what He accomplishes in our lives through the Word. Let's just take them in order. Look at verse number 3. Here's the first one. Through the Word, number one, He makes us clean. He purges us. That's the first thing he says. In verse 2, he says he purges. In verse 3, he says he cleans. He cleans house. Uh, to, to stick with the analogy of the garden, everybody lift your head and look at me just a minute. Do you know what I'm holding in my hand right now? God's pruning shears. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's sharp. It cuts, let me tell you. You ever been cut by this? It wounds and heals at the same time. It's an amazing thing. Like it brings conviction, and then it turns right around and brings comfort. It's amazing. It's a miracle book. This is not man's word. This is God's word, and it is God's pruning shears. It's how he cuts out of our lives the things that should not be there and grafts into our lives the things that should be there. The very first thing God wants to do through his word in your life is make you clean. That begins at salvation. How do people get saved? They don't get saved because they hear a good sermon. They don't get saved because you, you just were, you know, very good in your oratory and rhetorical skills and won the debate and convinced them. No. 
They get saved, say it please, through the Word. We're born again of the Word of God. We're changed by the Word of God. The Lord begins that cleansing process in our life at that moment, but it doesn't end there. It just starts there the rest of your life. God then uses the Word to get out of you the things that do not bring Him glory. Can I meddle for just a second? Is there anything in your life right now that the Lord's trying to use the Word to get out of you? Is there anything the Lord God Himself is trying to speak to you about, put His finger on in your life? You're waiting on me to preach on it. Some people say, well, if the preacher talks about my thing, then I'll, wait a minute, I'm not the preacher. I just work for the preacher. The preacher is the Holy Spirit. I can't list everybody's sins and problems and difficulties, and I don't even know all of your needs. Sometimes I don't even fully recognize all of my needs. But here's what I know. The Word of God searches us, and the Word of God reveals to us what we need, and then the Word of God begins to cleanse us. Jesus had just given them an amazing picture of this. Go back, just a couple pages in your Bible. Go back to John 13 for just a second, would you please? On the same night that he spoke the words of John 15, he did this. Look at John 13. He he goes around the room and he's washing their feet. Now, in the culture of the day, they wore sandals, dusty roads, feet got dirty. Normally, servants would do this. This is a revelation of Jesus as servant, Philippians chapter number 2. It's a beautiful picture of that. But there's another picture here. Look at verse verse number 6. When he gets to Simon Peter, Peter says to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? In other words, I'm not letting you wash my feet. Sounds like John the Baptist saying, uh, I'm not going to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling something here. Look at verse Number seven, Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. (laughs) Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I like Peter. I see myself in Peter sometimes, you know. Open mouth, insert foot, always going too far, one extreme to the other. Reactionary. We all got a little of that in us, you know. And Peter goes from saying, you're not washing my feet, to saying, oh, Lord, if that's true, what you just said, then just wash me all over. And look at what Jesus says to him in verse 10. This is not physical, this is spiritual. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. I love that phrase. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be clean in every part of your life. In the secret places, in every whit, every part of your life, clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, the reason he said not all, Judas was sitting there among. That's always fascinated me that Jesus humbled himself to wash the feet of Judas before Judas left to betray him. That's powerful, all the love of Jesus in that. But do you understand what Jesus just said to him? He said, Peter, when you came to me, I made you clean on the inside but you still get dirty in your feet every day, and so that must be cleansed. Watch this. When you come to know Jesus as your Savior, He makes you clean on the inside. He gives you a new nature and a new heart and a new standing before God. It's wonderful, but we're still sinners, and we still fail the Lord. And day by day, you've got to get your feet clean. You've got to get your life clean. How does that happen? Through the Word of God. Ephesians 5 says, the washing of water by the Word. Lots of pictures for the Word of God. One is the pruning shears, and another is water. What does water do? It cleanses. What does the Word of God do? It makes you clean. When you read the Word, when you hear the Word, when you you understand what God is saying, it has a cleansing effect in your heart and in your mind. 
Look, do you need your mind clean? Do you need your family clean? Do you need your life clean? Get in the Word and let the Word get in you because through the Word, He makes us clean. Go back to John 15. Let me show you a second one quickly. Look down to verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Number two, not only does the Lord clean through the Word, but number two, He brings joy through the Word. We're living in a miserable world right now, aren't we? You ever seen so much sadness in your life? Uh, drug use is at an all-time high. We're the most drug generation in the history of the world. Suicide is up 200% from my father's generation to mine. War, enough negativity on the news to make you think, you know, the sky is falling. And everywhere you look, people depressed and, you know, hopeless and in despair. And you think, what on earth is going on? I'm going to tell you, this is what happens in a world that rejects the word. When you reject light, you get darkness. When you say no to truth, you believe lies. This is what happens when people say no to the God who created them to start with. But I want you to know, God has made a way so in the darkest times of your life, you can have his joy. Everybody remember when Jesus said this, John 15? He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to pray and sweat great drops of blood. He's getting ready to be betrayed and mistried and sent to the cross. It's the hardest night of his life. And what's he talking about? Joy. You know why that is? Because joy is not outside in, it's inside out. Nobody can give you this joy except Jesus, and praise God, nobody can take it away from you. It is the Lord's gift. And how does it come? It comes through the Word. This is really interesting, but five times in John 15, I was just looking at this this morning, five times he uses the word commands or commandments. Now, most of us don't think of commands and joy in the same breath. But I want you to know these are happy commands. You know why that is? Because the Lord knows what's best for us. And here's the key. Would you like to know the key to real joy? Obedience to God. See, everybody wants the product. Nobody wants the process today. Everybody wants joy. Nobody wants to obey Jesus. Everybody wants hope. Nobody wants to believe the gospel. I'm telling you, if you want the joy, you've got to have Jesus. If you want the joy of the Lord, you must obey God. So it's not just knowing the Word, it's obeying the Word. It's not just giving mental assent to something and say, yeah, I believe in God. No, it's saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey what you've said to do. And here's the beautiful thing. When you obey God, you know what it does? It brings you nearer to God. God's near to all of us. He's as near as your breath. But you come nearer to Him, to His heart, as you obey the Lord. It's the secret to intimacy. It's the secret to closeness with God. Back up one verse. Look at verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. There's a chain reaction here. God gives the Word. We obey the Word. We enter into a deep understanding of the love of God. And guess what grows out of that? The joy of the Lord. There's a divine order here. In fact, everybody remember the fruit of the Spirit? It's a long list, but it starts with two. See if you remember it. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. What's the second one? Watch this, please. There's a divine order to the God of all order. You don't skip to the joy first. You've got to enter into the love of God first. And how do you do that? By obeying the Lord. As you obey the Word of God and let it work in you, 
You come closer and closer in fellowship with God, and the closer you get to his heart, the more his heart rubs off on you. The more his joy becomes your joy. I love that. Jesus said, I've spoken these words so that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Look, I don't want just my joy. I want his joy. Anybody else want his joy? Then you must come to that through the word. Let me, let me show you something just for fun. Hold your place. Don't lose your spot. We're coming right back. Go to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah for just a second. Let me give you a, an illustration of what I'm talking about with the joy that comes through the Word. There's lots of great verses on this. Psalm 119 talks a lot about the joy that is connected to the Word of God. But this is, I think, one of the most vivid illustrations in, in the whole Bible. And it is in a book full of judgment and darkness and difficulty. Now, before I show you the verse in Jer- Jeremiah 15, would you just look at me for a second? I grew up with a mental picture in my mind that Jeremiah was the most miserable human being that ever walked the planet. He's called something. He's not just a prophet. He's got this adjective in front of his name. What do we call him? The what prophet? The the weeping. How would you like to be known for centuries as the weeper? And I'm just being very honest with you. I grew up thinking in my mind that this poor guy was the most miserable sap that ever existed that he walked around crying all the time, that he never had a good day in his life, that it must have been awful to have been Jeremiah. And then one day, I was reading the Word of God, what Jeremiah himself actually wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Did you know reading the Bible will mess you up? It will change what you think, because sometimes what you think is not right. And I'm reading Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and I came to Jeremiah 15 and verse number 16, and this is his testimony. Thy words were found. Lord, help us find them again. Let us rediscover the Bible this week. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Stop, look at me just for a minute. Swap batons here, all right? Very good. I want you to mark this in your Bible. I want you to mark this in your heart. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Can I tell you what I think? I think Jeremiah may have been one of the most joyful, happy humans that ever lived. Have you ever thought of Jeremiah that way? I always saw him with a broken heart. Here's what I've learned. When you get God's heart, you don't get part of God's heart. You get all of God's heart. So you're broken over what God has broken over, and you rejoice over what God rejoices over. How do you think Jeremiah could have had such a long ministry with very little response if he had not known the joy of the Lord as his strength? Anybody else in here need strength? Because I need strength right now. You know where you get strength? Joy. You know where you get joy from? The Word. Through the Word, God makes us clean. Through the Word, God gives us His joy. Go back with me to John 15. Let me give you one more very quickly. Come down to verse number 20. There's a key word here, first word of verse 20. Remember. Remember the Word that I said unto you. Number three, would you write this down? The Word helps us remember. We're prone to forget, aren't we? (laughs) 
prone to forget. How many of you have good short-term memories? How many people in this room say, my short-term memory is pretty strong? God bless all three of you. That's good. How many of you have better long-term memories? That's good. How many of you have no memory? Would you raise your hand, please? Yeah. Early on a Sunday morning, I understand. Can I tell you there's something better than short-term memory or long-term memory? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's called spiritual memory. And memory is a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. You've got to work it. You've got to exercise it. You know what happens to all of us? We, we start forgetting how awful sin is. We start forgetting how good God has been. We start forgetting all the truth we've already learned. We begin to forget God answers prayer. We start forgetting that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. There's a whole lot of things we begin to forget. And do you know what God does? God uses his memory book to bring us back to center and help us remember what we need to remember. See, Jesus was getting ready to leave these disciples. They're having a hard time. It's not just Jesus having a dark night. They're having a dark night. But the Word was going to help them see everything clearly, give truth. The Word was going to encourage their faith and sustain them in the difficult hours. Do you need strength? Do you need encouragement? Do you need to be sustained? I'm going to tell you what you need. You need a good dose of the Word. And by the way, you can never overdose on the Bible. Matter of fact, we could all use a double or triple dose of it this week. You know, when you're starting to get sick, my mother would always say to me, take these vitamins, take these vitamins, uh, take extra of these vitamins. And I always thought, my goodness, give you these big horse pills, you know. She said, take extra of these. It's going to help you. Now, let me tell you what the Word of God is. It's the Lord's spiritual vitamins for the soul. It, it helps you. When you start to feel a little faint and weary and weak in the whole thing, here's what you got to do. You've got to go back and remember. Push the spiritual reset button. And the best way I know to do that is through the Word. That's why Peter wrote, when he wrote his letter later in the New Testament, it's why Peter wrote and said we are to stir ourselves up by way of remembrance. And if you keep reading in that same chapter, he goes on to talk about the Word of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have a more sure word of prophecy. What was he doing? He was connecting the, the spiritual memory to the Scriptures. He was connecting the health of the soul to the Word of the living God. Let me just testify. The times in my life where spiritually I have known the Lord's strength and greatest blessing and fruitfulness have been the seasons where I was really rooted in Scripture and the Word was working in me. I'm not saying I just read the Bible every day. I'm saying I was really letting the Word do in me what God intended for it to do in me. And the times in my life that have been least fruitful and most barren have been the seasons where I neglected the Word of the living God. See, I, I think one of the great evidences, Pastor, that real revival comes in a church is people get passionate about the Bible again. They don't just come saying, hope a preacher gives a good sermon and keeps me awake for 30 minutes. Mm -mm. No, they come hungry to hear from the Lord. And they don't have to dust their Bible off when they come to church on Sunday morning either because they've been in it all week long. The change, the fruitfulness, the blessing always comes through the Word. Go with me to the end of the chapter. Let's, let's end where the Lord ends here in John 15. Look at verse 25. This cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. May I just pause and say this? God's word will be fulfilled in this world. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Everything God foretells, he fulfills. Everything. 
All this mess in the Middle East right now, everything you're wondering about with Israel, all the things concerning the future, you just take this one to the bank. God, who never lies and never changes, is going to keep everything he promised to do. His word will be fulfilled in this world. Here's the personal question. Will it be fulfilled in you? God's going to do his word, his work in this world. Are you letting him use his word and do his work in you? Look at verse number 26. But when the comforters come, now hold up, time out just a second. Is comforter capitalized in your Bible? It's because it's a person, it's a proper name. Who is the comforter? That's the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, oh, he's changed subjects. No, no. What is the word? It is the sword of the Spirit. Oh, wait a minute. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. He hasn't changed subjects. He's showing you how the Word works in you. It's not magical, but it is spiritual. Look at verse number 26. When the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. You know what one of the names for Scripture is? God's testimonies. Would you like to hear a good testimony today? Listen to the Lord's own testimony. The Holy Spirit speaks up. How does the Holy Spirit speak? Does he speak in some booming voice? Does he speak in some vision in the middle of the night? Let me tell you how the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Word. And you know what we should all pray in this opening session of this this series of meetings? We ought to all pray right now, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Spirit of truth, work in me. Oh, God, comforter, open the Word to me. Help me know God better. Help me understand my need better. Get out of me what needs to be gotten out of me. Put into me your joy. Help me remember the things I need to remember. Do whatever you need to do in me through the Word. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I don't want us to end this hour with my words. I want us to end this hour with all of us talking to God. Prayer is our response to God. God speaks to us through the Word. We speak to Him through prayer. Could I just ask you right now, with your head and heart bowed before the Lord, would you just talk to God for a minute? Would you talk to the one who's been talking to you? What has He said to you? Will you agree with Him? Will you say yes to Him? If you believe Him, will you obey Him? Would you pray right now, God, speak to me this week? Holy Spirit, work in me this week. Oh, God, make me clean. Oh, God, fill me with your joy. Oh, God, help me remember. Father, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would have absolute liberty in the meetings, in every family, and in every heart to speak to us. And that you will find here people who are willing to listen and ready to obey. May there be the spirit of obedience this week that will bring the fruitfulness. Lord, through the Word, do your work in us. And I praise you for it in faith. 
In Jesus' name.